The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spinoff with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. This episode is the last week of this podcast. We're now going to take a little bit of time off and come back with a new concept, still around all the cool and interesting things in business now, Teoroa, and still sharing diverse and personal stories of the human side of business, innovation, and ideas. It's been an enormous privilege, but we think that now, after five years, more than 200 episodes, and more than half a million downloads, we hope we've proven that business is not boring. And so maybe fittingly, this week's guest is not only emblematic of so many of the things we've been interested in on this podcast, but for the last business is boring, the business is boring. Boring Oat Milk is the new oat milk company from founder Morgan Moore, and it does so many things we love. It's adding brand and IP to a primary industry, it's helping us move past commodities, it's better on the environment, it's telling its story through great design, and it's an innovation serving a big future market. Oat Milk is super popular, with shortages caused by COVID earlier this year bringing attention to the fact that although we grow plenty of oats here and know a thing or two about milk, we were importing all commercial oat milk. It's bananas. And Morgan was in a place to do something about it, knowing oats through her first oat biscuit venture. To talk the three-year journey she had to go on to get onto shelves, the state of the oat and alt milk industry here, how she's using brand and storytelling, and what's next. Morgan joins us now by Zoom. Tēnā thank you for being here today, Morgan. Kia ora, Simon. I have to say it's such a privilege to be on this last episode. Um, I, like many others, have been an avid listener of Business is Boring over the years, and you guys have done such an incredible job on the podcast, so thank you. Ah, that's so cool. And yeah, we'll we'll be back with something something a bit changed up soon. Uh, yeah, so hopefully not going away completely. Um, yeah, so take us back to the, yeah, your story. Um what led you to, to oat milk? And um, yeah, what led you first, I guess, to those oat biscuits? Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I guess what led me first to oat milk was I was doing um, another oat-based brand called Bonnie, and yet we made biscuits and oat cakes. And I was in it for all the same reasons that I'm in business today, which is to grow more of oats, which are a really, you know, sustainable grain. Um but Bonnie was a really tough gig, you know. It was it was classic grassroots beginning. Um, you know, I baked nights in the Ponsonby Community Centre kitchen and my husband Nick would come in um, after his nine to five and help package into the night and then we'd sell at the Lassagal markets. And 
that business grew slowly and, you know, we moved into bigger production spaces and um, got more stockists and, you know, and got and learned more about the supermarket game and how to run a small business. Um, but so, yeah, it was really good training ground for what I'm doing now. Um, but after after about four years I of doing Bonnie, I realized that, you know, my fancy $7 oat crackers weren't really going to push the needle in terms of growing demand for oats in New Zealand. And um, so I, you know, looked at like, what is a product that people have every single day that then can have more impact on the land. And um, that's when I stumbled across oat milk. Yeah. And is that a hard thing to do? Because your business is your baby, right? Like, you know, um, or, or your, your child or pet or whatever. Like, you know, it's something you really care for and you've brought into the world and you've looked after and you've fought all these battles for. And was it easy to make a decision to walk away from Bonnie that was, you know, in in nice supermarkets and being purchased and, and, and a real thing? Yeah, well, the plan wasn't actually to walk away from it. The plan was to have it going concurrently. But I... I realised, you know, we'd outgrown our space, our production space. We needed to buy a whole lot more um, equipment. And I realised that, you know, manufacturing just wasn't for me. Um, I was interested in more like the supply side, um, under, understanding the oats and the farming, and then also the brand and, and marketing it. So, you know, that sort of middle part, the manufacturing, which is really important, I just wasn't interested in. And so I looked to get those um, oat cakes and biscuits contract manufactured. And we actually started out with a contract manufacturer and I just made all of the mistakes, like didn't do our due diligence properly. And within a couple of months, they um, they just couldn't make them properly and or they couldn't make them to the price that they thought they would. And so uh, it just went all, all went to custard. Like they started sending us, you know, invoices for miscellaneous costs that um, they just sort of explained. We just said, you know, they were just additional costs, and we just couldn't afford it. And they ended up taking us to Baycorp like two days before Christmas. And so we just had to pull the pin. We like couldn't find anyone else to make them. So it was actually quite a, a bit of a tragic end to Bonnie. Um, so I still kind of hold hope that one day we could start it back up. But yeah, I wasn't intending on stopping it completely, but, you know, business is tough. It's what happened. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. And it is it is so tough. And it's so hard to often to kind of like talk about those things too, because, I mean, in this podcast is part of... Um, both the problem and the solution of that and that, you know, kind of the journey is fetishized and everything kind of comes up rosy and stuff. And we talk to people who have made it more often than people who um, who haven't uh, made it on things. But every business person also, when you ask them when things have been tough, they've got a story of something, you know, either nearly completely turning, uh, falling over or having to make that, that massive change. And yeah, like having those those right suppliers who really care and have invested in your success and are really good at what they do is just so key. Oh, it's so important. It's so critical. Like I, I learned a lot from that business and it was a lot from making mistakes, which, you know, now that we've, I don't know, seemingly doing well, it's all fine. Um, and you're right. Like people like, people like hearing about the tough road once you've done well. Um, and so it's a funny place to be in now that we've got this product that's out and we can talk, I can talk about it with, um, sort of more confidence than what I probably would have a year ago. So yeah, but I mean, honestly, the relationships that you have with every single person along your supply chain is so important. 
and um, and everyone you do business with. So now I have I, I have a no dickhead policy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah. and I can just I feel like I can spot them now. So um, yeah, oh, I'm quite I, rigorous with with the people I do business with. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, in, in um, my own business, we've had suppliers who were lovely people who were just no good. And then, you know, we were making um, these hand creams and, you know, we got a run of 500 and about 450 had labels that were sideways. One label was upside down, labels were missing. And we're just like, we can't, we can't supply these to anyone. I don't yeah. know what we're meant to do. And they were lovely, but just not, not up to it. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, in terms of that kind of, um, there was this great um, quote I saw from, the designer of the I Love New York logo. And he looked back on his career and said that the only good work he'd ever done that he really loved and was proud of was when he worked with people who he shared the same values with and liked. And that's, yeah, no dickheads. Yeah, no, I mean, that's really, really important. And that's like, um, yeah, throughout the sort of journey, of, especially with his oat milk and with investors and the likes, like finding people whose values are aligned with your own is just like absolutely critical and and you don't find that out in your first meeting it's kind of like dating you know the first two three four five dates are fine and great and everyone's on their best behavior but it's once you get into the trenches and the nitty-gritty that the true colors show and um yeah so it's just really important to kind of do the time and I think with a startup you're so, you know, you, you, you're working off such small resources. You're trying to move quickly because of that fact. You often kind of um, move too quickly over really big decisions. And so it is really critical that you kind of do take the time to get to know people and really understand where their drivers are um, and understand their business as well because, you know, you have your own um, ambitions and so do other businesses too that you've got to work with. So, yeah. And tell me about the kind of like the oat situation in New Zealand as it's kind of wild that we <laughs> haven't had, um, you know, commercially made oat milk here uh, before what you've done um, and that you've had to build out so much of the system in a country that is kind of, you know, a big primary producer. Yeah, a country that's made for it, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so just talking about oats, I mean, um, oats, we grow really well here. You know, they were introduced by Scottish immigrants in the mid-1800s, and um, they found that uh, the oats, um, you know, in Southland and Otago down south, it had similar conditions to what was required for oats. So you need, um, like, long daylight hours and you need a lot of rain. So um, we're good at that in the South <laughs> Island especially. Um, but, you know, we currently grow 33,000 tonnes of oats, um, half of which is used for animal feed. So there's plenty of scope there. Um, but oats are really good, really, really good and gentle for the soil because they are really nitrogen hungry. So um, they soak up lots of nitrates, which, you know, in New Zealand, with a lot of intensive farming, our soils are really um, heavy in. So that's the situation there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all of oat milk that's sold in New Zealand is imported. And, um, I mean, 90% of plant milks that are sold in New Zealand are imported. So it really makes... For me, as a consumer, um, as well as, you know, oat lover, um, it just really made no sense. Like we, as you said, we're, you know, um, farming nation and we've got a lot of manufacturing capability in stainless steel. So, um, yeah, I kind of came at it at the same angle that you have. Is like, it makes no sense. Why isn't anyone doing it? And then, like, well, I, I guess let's go through the journey of how you got there in a second, but kind of like, 
So all of it's being imported pretty much. And then mm. that's coming a lot of it from Sweden. Why on earth is Sweden such a kind of oat milk centre of excellence? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sweden is like the home of oat milk. Um, they pioneered it. They developed it in the 90s. Um, so it was first developed in the 90s by food scientists out of Lund University. And um, it was developed as an alternative for those that were lactose intolerant. And the creator of, of oat milk actually then went on to found Oatly. And, you know, I think it's big there because, solely because of Oatly and the IP that was created by turning oats into oat milk because nobody else knew how to do it at that stage. And, you know, a number of businesses have popped up in recent years, started from former employees of Oatly um, to help others, like including New Zealand companies, make their own oat milk. But another reason I think why it worked, why it's so big in Sweden is that Sweden's the home of Tetra Pak and, you know, the development of Tetra Pak, which is like the, you know, for your listeners, it's like the, the cardboard cartons that you see all your long life milk in and plant milks. And Tetra Pak opens up huge opportunities for products that otherwise would have had to be chilled and have a short shelf life. And so Tetra Pak is like what they call aseptic packaging, which just means really sterile. And it gives you the ability to package things like milk and plant milk into them and give them a long shelf life. So I think it was a combination of the two of, um, yeah, it being developed there 30 years ago to then also being the home of Tetra Pak, this perfect vehicle to give it long life that has meant that, yeah, they've been the leaders. Yeah, I love it. And that, you know, the, the Tetra Pak um, owners were, you know, at points in in the last 20 years, like the richest people in the world and stuff. Hey, like that, that, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so funny that Sweden has these, um, you know, these niche um, but incredibly successful things. And there's no reason that New Zealand can't have industries and niche successes like these. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people make good money out of packaging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of um, how it's made, like, you know, the question always comes up, you know, you know, people are always asking, how do you milk an almond or how do you milk an oat? How do you actually make um, oat milk at a commercial scale? Because I'm sure people have kind of made um, some form of oat milks and homes for, for Yeah, for time. yeah. People have made oat milks and homes and people have also made, uh, you know, like there have been New Zealand brands that have came out and made oat milk in like pilot plants. Um, mm. So really small scale plants that are like Food South and Food Bowl, which you make about 500 litres a day, um, which in comparison, like we can make like 70,000 litres a day. So um, so how you milk an oat is um, you get oats and you add them um, in with warm water and into a giant tank and then they get milled. So they go through a mill to mill them down. And then enzymes are added. And so enzymes are natural, you know, um, it's kind of um, like what happens when you eat oats or say something really carby like breads and the enzymes in your mouth and your stomach break down the starches and release the sugars. So we're doing that beforehand and that's to get out the nice sort of um, sugar flavor and to give it good viscosity as well. And then it goes through a decanter, which separates the solid from the liquid and then what we have there, the liquid is what we call the oat base. And that's like a concentrated oat base. And it's kind of quite like sweet. It's sort of like a thick, yummy smoothie. And, um, and then the, the, the um, solid is what we currently just sell off for animal feed. But we are looking to convert that into a plant protein because it's actually really high in protein. Because unfortunately, 
during the process that like all the protein goes into that that solid that base um so anyway so we're looking at ways to convert that but what we've got then with the liquid is this oat base and for us we then put that in a tanker a milk tanker and send it you know 1500 meters down the road um but say plants in 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 sweden they would already have all that process in the same factory and so we send it down the road, it gets added into more big tanks and all the other ingredients get added to it. So typically in oat milk, you have an oil. So we use a high oleic sunflower oil and ours is from Canterbury. And it's um, that's to give it good body, um, like the fat gives it good body and it helps it froth with coffee. And it helps it sort of um, stopping it from separating. So you can imagine like this sort of oil suspends it. And then you add the other nutrients and vitamins. So like the vitamin B12, B2 and calcium and some sea salt just to give it a bit of flavor. And then it goes through the UHT line. So it's like 15 seconds. Um, It goes through an ultra heat treatment and then it goes through a homogenizer and then it's bottled. (laughs) Um, but it's actually quite boring so yeah (laughs) (laughs) and all of those things are things that are done as you know an extraordinary matter of course in terms of um fruit uh juice uh or milk obviously Um, yeah correct yeah yet, yet there was absolutely no infrastructure set up to do it commercially for oats how did you go about create getting that infrastructure and did you initially think oh I'll just make some oat milk it won't be too hard oh yeah I think everyone thinks that when they start their own business you know people like I don't know make a batch of cookies at home and they're like this is so easy these are so yum I'm gonna sell them (laughs) but I always have a bit of a word of warning of people like don't turn your passion into your job because do you really love it enough to do it day in day out like you know 16 hours a day but with oat milk, I thought the same thing. Um, and I just looked at, I went and spoke to pretty much every single UHT manufacturer in New Zealand and um, said to them, you know, will you process, will you make oat milk? And they all said to me the same thing. Yeah, but we, well, yes, maybe, but we can only handle liquid. So you deliver us the kind of oat base and we can do the rest of it and UHT it for you. So um, I just thought the same thing as what you've just said is, you know, there's plenty of um, people making apple juice and orange juice and the likes, and they're having to deal with, have the same challenges where they've got um, a product that they've then got to get done into liquid form. And so, yeah, so I went and spoke to these guys that were making um, apple juice and concentrate and, um, you know, uh, said to them, what did you look to make oat base? And they they were interested, but they were kind of like, yes, but it's all on you. Like, you've got to bring the expertise. You've got to pay for it. We'll just let you use our kit. And um, so, yeah, so I was lucky enough to have a beverage technologist slash processing engineer who had 30 years experience working for Danone and Frucor and the likes. And she came on this journey with me and... Um, yeah, and she said actually in her 30 years experience, this is top two hardest projects she's ever worked on. And that is just because even though they had a lot of the right equipment, it it wasn't quite right. So we had to order in new bits of kit. Um, and as well, like nobody had the expertise around understanding how to process these oats. And so, uh, you know, I mean, you think of oats and water and especially warm water as just clogs up pipes. It's um, like porridge. And so we just had to figure out way to unclog those pipes <laughs> and get it flowing. 
<laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's set so hard, and um, yeah, it is. It is like a, a glue. Like how how did people react when you came in and said, "Hey, I want to make this." oat milk, you know, and um, they hadn't done it before. Were people supportive of you? Were, you know, did you have to go through a bunch of manufacturers first who maybe um, didn't think it was a good idea? How, yeah, how, how many doors did you have to knock on and yeah, did, did you have oh, to convince people? Yeah, a lot. Um, a lot of doors I knocked on. And I mean, you know, for the most part, New Zealanders are a pretty open bunch and were willing to help. Um, and a lot of people wanted this to work, you know, from growers to manufacturers to like the industry and I think people work with me I guess like because I could see my drive and that I wasn't giving up um but you know we did before we um found our manufacturer we're talking we're, we're working with now we talk to a manufacturer for about nine months and they were sort of one of the bigger dairy companies and uh, we talked to them for nine months and I looked back through and I had like 30 meetings with them and we did a lot of work and it ended up being a no. <laughs> um, so that was that was pretty devastating. But, um, you know, there's obviously like the naysayers who questioned like why I was the one that was doing it because a lot of people said, you know, if it was such a thing, like, then the big companies would have already done it. Um, yeah, especially the big milk companies, like, you know, who have the UHT lines and have all of the kit ready to go. Yeah. And, you know, it couldn't hurt to diversify away from um, something that, you, you know, we're kind of a peak cow. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I think they're realising that now, you know, but it, as with yeah. all these, I mean, and, and, you know, name the dairy company and I would have spoken to them and... I, but they just weren't ready like two or three years ago, um, even one year ago. Whereas now I think they're all sort of scrambling to see what they can do. And I honestly do believe that within the next few years, we will see the dairy companies rolling out with um, a plant with oat milk because it's what's happening overseas. You know, there's a company um, in the US just out of New York called Elmhurst and they're like 90 years old. And in 2000, they were an old dairy company. In 2017, they converted everything to plant milk. Mm. So they're now solely just doing plant milk, which is a pretty massive transition. And I don't see that full 180 happening. But I, I definitely think that the dairy companies will be doing plant milk soon. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the environmental kind of situation around oat milk and in New Zealand. So yeah, what's the kind of difference in impact compared to animal milk, cow milk? Oh, it's huge compared to cow milk. Um, you know, so I mean, like 20, I mean, okay. So first of all, you think about it. So 11, there's 11 times less land use for oat milk compared to cow, 13 times less water, three and a half times less gas emissions and six times less fertilizer. Um, so that's just, you know, dairy milk. And then if you look at the other plant milks and, um, you, you know, almond, which is the biggest in the world, like 60% of plant milk that's sold is almond milk. And, you know, almonds use seven times more water than what oat is. And, you know, 80% of almonds um, grown in the world are, are from California, which is a drought-stricken state. And um, and then, you know, oat also has less emissions in soy and rice. So it's sort of, you know, that's why often oat is so popular is because of its environmental credentials. 
Um, but yeah, definitely, I mean, in comparison to dairy, I think a lot of things do pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you know, like um, other well-known milk alternatives like soy milk or almond, like um, I was really upset when I found out how much sugar most almond milk has and also just how bad it is in terms of water usage and um and and, and environmental impact um are there any kind of you know skeletons lurking in the oat milk closet oh well i think to be honest there kind of was um and but it, that that's been dealt to but the um the issue with oats is that they are typically especially in America are a crop that um uses a lot of glyphosate which is roundup and so what farmers would do is that just before harvest they'll spray roundup it's kind of naughty but they'd spray roundup on the crop which dries out the crop because it's killing it dries out the crop and then they'll come by come through with the combine harvester the next day and harvest it so it's really easy to harvest so it's nice and dry and um, but what you have is you've got like roundup residue on your plant and which is not good you know it's um it's it's been linked to like cancer it's a it's a horrific um spray and so i had always been on um you know, at, at our supplier to like get their farmers to stop using Roundup. And because we were finding traces of it. And this is back when I was doing Bonnie. And the old sort of CEO of this company was just like, no, it's what's practical for farmers. We can't tell farmers what to do. <laughs> and, um, and I, so what I actually did was I was like so fed up with it that I went out and found my own farmers and went and grew 200 tonne of oats so that I would have um, Roundup-free oats and um, ready for my oat milk launch. But what happened is I had these oats, but I had nowhere to um, kind of process them. So like with oats, if you think about them, they've got the husk on them, so you need to de-husk them and um, you need to kiln them and roast them to get out that sort of green flavour and give it a nice toasty flavour. So I needed to do that and um, I'd kind of, you know, um, cut off my cut off my options by telling the supplier that I wasn't buying their oats. I couldn't use their kit, <laughs> so I um, went and found a. Um, I actually haven't told anyone this, but I went and found um, a guy who was malting barley for beer, and he was down in Dunsandle. And um, I went and said, "Oh, you know, you're dehulling your barley, and you're, um, you know, you're kilning it and roasting it. Surely it must be the same thing." So I sent like a ton of oats to him to trial it out, and he dehulled it with his barley, you know, dehuller. And I mean, it wasn't great. And then he kilned them and roasted them, and it just turns out like it was a lot more complex than what we ever imagined because the oats essentially kind of had this nice, beautiful, crispy brown exterior, but the inside was just green, so it just tasted like grassy as. And um, so we realised it was going to be a lot of work. And I spoke to my technologist, and she's like, "Morgan, like you've bitten off more than you can chew. Like this is a lot of work." And then so I went back to the supplier and I said, "Look, I've got." And by this stage, they had a new CEO. And I said to him, I said, hey, really nice to meet you. Um, look, I've got 200 tonne of oats. Could you process <laughs> it for me? <laughs> Can you help me? And he was like, I don't think that sounds 
that, you know, I think that sounds doable, but let me talk to the board. And I knew I was in trouble then because I knew the board would say no. And sure enough, they said no. But what they did say was that they would introduce a clause into their supply agreement that would say there could be no, there would to be no traces of Roundup residue on the plant. So although they ended up just buying that 200 ton of oats off me, they wouldn't process it for me because I was kind of undercutting them. Um, they have now got it into their supply agreement. So Yes, to answer your question, there were skeletons in the closet, but we've now solved it. But it was a lot of um, work and, yeah, it took a while to get there. Oh, I love it. And I love that insight into what it takes to make something new happen in a place where everyone just defaults to what's always been done. And we'll be back in just a, a moment more to hear more from Morgan Moore about how she brought boring oat milk to market. Kia ora koutou katoa. Te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. As we find ourselves navigating a new outbreak and lockdown, everyone here at The Spin-Off remains committed to bringing you quality independent journalism, which, of course, includes our coverage of COVID-19. It's not an exaggeration to say we couldn't do this work without the generous support of our members. So, if you'd like to help us keep Aotearoa informed, please visit thespinoff.co.nz members for more details and to donate today. Yeah, absolutely love it. That, that's that's such a great illustration of how much work goes in to, to making something new. And alongside this, like, you know, actually building out a new um, production method and a, and a new kind of product line and a new ingredient source and a new, you know, like all of these steps, yeah. you were also making a brand and a business. Tell me about kind of, you know, how you got the investment and supporters behind you um, to go through this. And um, yeah, and and about that kind of um, the storytelling and the branding part. I love it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, yeah, there are a lot of factors in this. And I think that when anybody is starting a business, you know, you want everything to be perfect. And what I have realised is... um, it is a journey and you can't let perfect get in the way of good. Like I love that quote so much because I think, um, you know, for me, I would love to have full traceability back to the farm, but I currently don't have that. So I just have to make do with what I've got, which is, you know, round up free oats. So that's the best that I can do for now, but we're working towards it. Um, but in terms of finding people to invest in this, it has been a hell of a journey and I've had two investment partners before we've come to our third and final one. And so when we started out, we um, I met with a new private equity company that sort of saw what um, Oatly was doing overseas. And we're like, yeah, we'd love a bit, bit of that. But I don't think they really realised, and neither did I actually, just how difficult it would be and that it was essentially a feasibility study when I first started out. So they sort of realised that their money was just going into this absolute sinkhole. <laughs> and, and, um, and then and, and they, they weren't, you know, private equity, they're interested in the return, you know, like they're, they're not, they're kind of interested in the purpose on, you know, at the dinner parties, chats, but not when it comes down to the, the balance sheet. So um, we parted ways and I had this... Um, yeah, I had an interesting time, you know, when you're kind of in between investors, which essentially is like in between jobs, which means you just don't have anyone and don't have any money. Um, and then I found another, met another investment group 
And again, they're really excited by it, but then they sort of realised just how expensive it was to do manufacturing in New Zealand and they wanted to take it offshore to Asia and that was just a non-negotiable for me. So, um, yeah, so the, so we finally found our, late, our, our new partner, which, um, and this was about, you know, five, five months ago or even four months ago, so not that long ago. Um, there's been plenty of times where I've thought that this wasn't actually going to happen. Um, we, uh, I, here I was without an investor going back out to pitch and I met with my manufacturer, the Apple press, and we'd had all these trials and these trials are expensive, you know, like they're like 15 to 20 K they're a lot of money. And I was racking up the costs and I said to them, you know, I'm good for it. I promise. I just don't really have the money or the investment right now. And, um, they turned around and they were like, well, you know, what about us? Like we'd be really interested in investing. So we met partners through them. Um, but on the, on the brand front, um, you know, I mean, brand is really like important, obviously. And especially in, you know, um, with FMZ, FMCG being such a noisy space and like brands falling over themselves, to tell consumers how great they are. Like, you know, we, we knew we had to go a different route. Um, so we actually worked with Calvin So and his team from DMY. Um, we, we met with him to discuss a project about two and a half years ago. And uh, we wanted to engage a designer early on as like, you know, because we're quite brand nerds and we realized the importance of a good brand to stand out. Um, but we, you know, boring is a nod to... New Zealand's self-deprecating humour um, when we were writing um, the copy for the website and even recently with social media, we're often thinking of like, um, we, we channel Flight of the Concords and Jermaine Clement and we just think, what would Jermaine say? <laughs> um, but, you know, the crux of the brand is it's, we you know, looked at the product. What is it? It's milk. It's an everyday product. You know, it's something that, it, you know, it's a supporting actor, not the star. It's your coffee that's exciting. It's your cereal that's exciting. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of stable and reliable and everyday. And so, you know, that's quite boring. But yeah, there's this lovely tension in it between the you know, accessibility and the fact it's that kind of, you know, constant step, you, you, you know, constant and reliable thing. But also it's really lovely and thoughtful and, you know, nicely composed and um, kind of accessible but aspirational and a sense of humour but not being too loud. It's really, you know, really nicely, um, really nicely composed. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, a lot of thought. Like nothing was by accident, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's um, it's so awesome. And and in terms of the storytelling, you know, like um, when you were running Bonnie Goods and making the oat cakes and oat biscuits, um, you know, you know, like did you kind of fall in love with oats, or you know, like this kind of role of being kind of a um, yeah, a storyteller and a popularizer of the space and being part of the industry? Did you ever expect that? No, not at all. I think it's just when you talk about something enough, and then people sort of finally start to listen, right? <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, to be honest, like for me. I mean, it's just so happened that it's oats because they are really sustainable grain, but it could have been, it could have been anything that was in this space that was good for the environment and good for New Zealand. Um, and uh, yeah, I just saw that, you know, oats are a commodity grain and they sh shouldn't be, you know, it's again, something that grows really well here, good for the environment, but also we can add, you know, make into these really great value add products. 
Um, so uh, yeah, no, I think it's just sort of happened a little bit by chance that I've ended up being, um, you know, the unofficial Oat ambassador for New Zealand. (laughs) And there are some parallels there with the way you were talking about, um, the uh, roasting and the husking and all the rest of it that made me um, think of coffee. And you've had kind of p- partnership with Supreme that you've had a relationship with in the past, hey, um, who, you, you, and, and also with the barista. Um, t- t- tell me about the role of kind of oat milk and the popularization that's come through that channel. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, first and foremost, even though, again, oats are really sustainable, people buy it because it tastes good. And it pairs really well with coffee. And so that's why, you know, with all the major oat milk players around the world and us as well, is that you start um, by seeding through those food service cafe channels because it does pair really well. So it pairs well because it is creamy. It's got a higher pH, so it doesn't um, split with the coffee. You know, that's what often plant milks are guilty of doing. You kind of have this, um, you know, this, this sort of feathering effect. And um, so, yeah, so we knew that we we're always going to develop like a barista version, which is just a more specialised version designed especially for coffee. And I've known the Coffee Supreme guys um, since I was like 19. I used to work, I used to live in Wellington and um, went to Vic Uni and that was my uni job. So I was just making coffees for, you know, people um, living in Mount Cook and would like be bagging beans and um yeah so it's been it's been a kind of long and really beautiful relationship with those guys and when I first started developing this I would take them well we me and Jackie my technologist would take them our samples and get them to trial it out on their machines and they were as with a lot of people really supportive of this and wanting a New Zealand oat milk but at the same time just because I was their mate and like knew them they weren't sort of giving me any favors like they were really critical of the product and so we wanted them to be so we probably oh gosh I don't even know how many trials we had with them probably about 30 um, different ones to get it right. Yeah wow and where do you see the kind of there's been enormous change in the industry in the last kind of, you know, five to 10 years, uh, right? And huge growth in the alternate um, milk category. Where do you see the industry in 10 years? Like, will it be kind of um, an unusual treat to put milk in coffee as opposed to <laughs> the stand the standby, you know? Will it be like kind of people eating less meat but choosing to eat better? Uh, you know, where, where do you see it going? As um, It's certainly not completely normal that we're drinking, um, you know, cow milk is actually um, plasma. (laughs) (laughs) So we're drinking drinking cow plasma. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I know. And it's 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 not when people actually stand back and think about it. I know. How how odd. Um, Yeah, I mean, we are such a dairy nation in New Zealand and um, we've almost become too good at dairy, you know, too specialised. And that's what's led to the intensified farming and, and, you know, all the leaching into our waterways. But it is a really lucrative business. And, well, not really lucrative. It is a lucrative in comparison to the other um, uh, farming. And so, you know, in, t- in terms of just talking about the consumer, yeah, what I, I, I truly believe that it will become, you know, more normalised and that 
And, and it is already. And I think that oat milk especially is kind of the perfect gateway into plant milk because it's like everybody's familiar with oats. It's not some sort of foreign fancy grain or seed, you know, like almonds. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, that's grown in sort of other places. But oats, like people are familiar with porridge. And so just thinking that as a milk, um, that's not too hard a concept to grasp. So we've had, it's been incredible the feedback that we've had from people being like, I mean, it's funny, a lot of dairy milk drinkers, their biggest compliment is telling me that it tastes like dairy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, thanks, I guess. Um, (laughs) It doesn't, but anyway. Uh, So, yeah, I think, like, for them, that's their way of sort of validating it to themselves, that it kind of tastes like dairy, so it's okay. But, yeah, I I believe that we will become, you know, again, as, as, um, you know, we're becoming more flexitarian and choosing more sustainable meats and, you know, um, meats are, are now sort of and, and will be more weighted on their emissions. And so, you know, it will become more expensive. It will become like, uh, um, yeah, more exclusive sort of thing. And and then plant-based has got, there's a real opportunity there for it to become, get more into the mainstream. And, you know, we're not just going to be able to do that ourselves. Like we are a branded product and we're a small brand, so we're never going to be as financially accessible to consumers. So it's going to be once the big, once the big corporates come in and can actually help sort of um, you know, yeah, get that processing cost down and make it more accessible for people. But yeah, I truly believe that that it will there will come a time where um, you know, there are cafes that aren't just in Greyland that are selling a lot more plant milk than dairy. And what advice would you have for someone who can see something that seems, you know, like it's worked overseas, we can grow things, we're good at UHT, we're good at liquid and stainless steel vats. Like, it seems pretty obvious, but there were so many no's and it's been so hard. What would your advice be to someone who can see something that that, that makes a lot of sense to them, but they're having a hard run? Uh, the funny thing is I've, I've thought about this question a bit because I've been given a lot of advice. And um, <laughs> but what, <laughs> oh, There's that great line, you know, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, God, I, lo- I got a lot of advice anyway. Um, and so, but the thing is, you know, you pick and choose, you know, you don't have to listen to it all. But I, my advice to people is actually, first and foremost, I tell people, don't do it. Like, you know, don't do it. And the reason I say that is if somebody tells you not to do something and that's enough to convince you not to do it, then you definitely shouldn't because you are going to have a lot more challenges and it is going to be a lot harder than that, Um, you know, to sort of forge a path or do anything differently. uh, I mean, you know, like Simon, you've been involved in a lot of businesses. Like it is difficult and you just have to be really prepared to, sacrifice a lot and dig it in and push your ego to the side and not have a lot of money and all these things. So yeah, my kind of, my advice to people is just kind of like really like stick with it. And if I tell you don't do it and that's enough to sway you, then, then you really shouldn't. Yeah. Magic. And just as a final thought, what will success be for you and what will success be for boring oat milk? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, Success, success for me is seeing more land, more diversification of land in New Zealand, 
And so, you know, in um, a few years' time, you know, I mean, we're looking to convert 100,000 hectares of intensive farming into diversified land. And that's not just growing oats, by the way. You know, oats are a bigger part of, you know, sort of the ecosystem. So it's growing other um, high-value grains and crops like, you know, peas and green leafy veggies and stuff like that. So for me, it's about... Uh, improving the the um, biodiversity in our land in New Zealand because currently you know we're in a pretty dire position. But success for boring oat milk, I guess, is you know it's having it's having a distinctly New Zealand brand that is recognised on the world stage. That would be that'd be pretty special. Yeah. Oh, that's magic. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your story today. Um, yeah, magic and really lovely to have it as the last. Um, one of the run, as it's so many of the things that um, are just so cool to see. So thanks for sharing your story. That's Morgan Moore of Boring Oat Milk. Thanks, Simon. I want to thank you very much to Tahe Butler for producing. Uh, and thanks to everyone for um, having us along. Just as a final note, um, yeah, thank you to everyone who's listened, who's shared the podcast, um, everyone who's got in touch, uh, everyone who's talked to me about it and been a supporter. Um, thanks especially to Callahan Innovation for uh, starting it and backing it the whole way through and to the spin-off for the support and the opportunity. Um, it's been an enormous privilege and such a lucky thing to talk to an interesting person doing cool things every week for five years and um, really looking forward to changing things up a bit and um, keep hopefully providing some value and um, help to share some of these great stories of business and ideas in Aotearoa. Uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring. Presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.